Um, last weekend, I did a game night with my parents. That sounds awesome. We played Uno, Clue, this game called Drunk, Stoned, or Stupid. Don't play it with your parents. Okay. That's all I gotta say. Okay. Because it's like, basically the object of the game is to... Basically, you all have to say, like, oh, this person would do this. And one of the cards that my dad read was, most likely to have a sex toy. (laughs) I was like, "Mm, mm, yeah, we're done with this game. (laughs) Oh, jeez. That's fantastic. I just... Yep. Yep. Friends, yes. No. Not parents. But yeah, I love playing Clue so much. Clue with your parents? I'm so good at it. Our go-to is Monopoly. Oh, yeah, no. We used to play that when I was a kid, but no. No. We, um, when Sheridan was home, we were also playing the Oregon Trail one one night. Ooh, I haven't played that one. It's actually kind of boring. Oh. No one died. What? How? You literally just go, like, step outside and you're dead. We got lucky. Mm. Were you that one kid that actually survived the Oregon Trail? Oh, God, no. I died at okay. the time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, actually, I take it back. Sheridan died once. Oh. And I wrote her name on a little gravestone. It's <laughs> uh, like, bye. Rip. Rip. Yeah, that's what said. Rip Sheridan. Let's see what else. Except it turned out. into Rip Sheridan. E, Dan. Okay, so I was watching, listening more than watching, to another episode of Ghost Adventures. Yeah. And I found out that apparently Robert Bigelow, who owned the Skin Rocker Ranch for, you know, a short period, he also owns another ranch in Nevada. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. And it's another UFO hotspot, apparently. Hmm. Oh, I thought you were going to say, like, he was trying to go after the skinwalkers or something. <laughs> yes. He's yes. going after skinwalkers. But no, then I was telling mom that, and she was like, Robert Bigelow, the alien gigolo. Jeez. No. <laughs> Speaking of mothers who say things. Oh, God. I told my mom that I was ovulating. Okay. And you know what her response was? What? Ah, heavy with eggs. (laughs) (laughs) Heavy with egg, I love it. Heavy with eggs. I was like, how do you not see that that is a gross thing to say? She's like, it's true. And I told my sister that, and she was like, yeah, it's true. I was like, nobody thinks ah, heavy with eggs is a weird response. Well... Speaking of heavy with eggs, Simi's girl. Oh, she's laying on a nest of eight eggs. 
Oh, dang. Yeah, it was six on Friday. Wow. So, we may or may not have baby geese. Oh my god, that's so cute. And I'm super excited about it because Sammy's a girl and Dean's a boy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Rachel has geese. We assume they were both boys. Or both girls. Or both girls. But, yeah. That's so cute. Sammy's a girl. I think it's funny that it's Sammy. It's a girl. Okay. Hey, I'm Rachel. That's Grace. I'm Grace, that's Rachel. Welcome to our podcast. It's myths and misfortunes. We're a paranormal and true crime podcast. Each week we pick somewhere in the world, base our stories on that place. And or surrounding areas. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, where are we at this week? We're in New Orleans. New Orleans. New Orleans. New Orleans. New Orleans. I was going to say, I've been saying New Orleans all week. New Orleans. I don't know. <laughs> I'll leave that one. <laughs> New Orleans? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I've never heard that one before. Me either. I just New made Orleans. it up right now. <laughs> okay, so we're doing something a little bit different. I printed out my notes, so every once in a while you may hear a flip. Yep. Okay. So, for New Orleans. Nolens. New Orleans. New Orleans. New My sources are. Woohoo! History.com and experienceneworleans.com and Wikipedia. Woohoo! Good old yes, Wikipedia. Yes, yes, yes. There's a lot of, a lot of history. Like, so fucking much. And I really wanted to do a bunch of it, but I know that we're going to end up coming back and doing another episode about about New Orleans. So I was just like, mm. Yes. I'll try to make it brief. So. That. The area was first inhabited by Native Americans of the Woodlands and Mississippian cultures starting as early as 1000 BCE. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Okay. There weren't really a lot of settlers there until around 1718 when French explorers led by Jean-Baptiste Le Sieur de Bienville. I don't know if I said that correctly, but we're going with it. He founded the colony of La Nouvelle Orléans. Orléans. In honor of then regent of France, Philip II, Duke of Orléans. Orléans. I just gotta say it in a French accent. I don't know. (laughs) When Britain won the Seven Years' War in 1763, Spain was given the land west of the Mississippi. As most of the city's population was French at the time, they weren't too happy to be under Spanish rule, and there was a lot of fighting. The city remained under Spanish rule for another 39 years, though. The Spanish helped to make the city thrive by trading heavily with Cuba and Mexico, and from what I read, they adopted the Spanish Rachel... Rachel. (laughs) (laughs) The Spanish Rachel. From what I read, they adopted the Spanish racial rules that allowed for free people of color, which wasn't common at the time. Mm -hmm. Control eventually returned to France, only for Napoleon to sell the entire Louisiana territory to the United States for $15 Which today would be about 341 million. Woohoo. Yes. I like that. But that's like 900 square miles of land. Oh no, my bad. 900 
thousand. I was gonna say nine hundred. I don't know why I said nine hundred. I put nine hundred K. Um, it's 900k, you know. You know, okay. but it's 19. Oh my god! Oh. <laughs> That's 900,000 square miles of mm-hmm. land. One year after the Louisiana Purchase, the Haitian Revolution brought an influx of immigrants to New Orleans, followed by even more from Saint Domingue. Which, if I said incorrectly, let me know. It's what Google told me. In 1809 to 1910. Next page. By 1810, the city was the largest city in the South and the fifth largest in the U.S., with its people speaking French, Spanish, Creole, Acadian, African, Haitian, and Domingue? Domingue? Why do I have such an issue with that word? It's like meringue. I don't know. (laughs) Louisiana became a state in 1812. Yes. In the final battle of the War of 1812 between the U.S. and Britain, General Andrew Jackson led an unconventional defense forced to victory in the famous Battle of New Orleans. He led a coalition of pirates, free blacks, and Tennessee volunteers to defeat a British force outside the city. All right. During the first half of the 19th century, New Orleans became the United States' wealthiest and third largest city. Its port shipped a lot of the nation's produce to the Caribbean, South America, and Europe. (laughs) Thousands of (laughs) slaves were sold in its markets, but there were thriving there was a thriving free black community. Until 1830, the majority of its residents still spoke French. By 1900, the city was industrializing, the city streetcars were electrified, jazz was born, and the Creole elite were losing prominence as neighborhoods were diversified with immigrants of all kinds. In 1905, the final epidemic of yellow fever broke out in the city and killed more than 40,000 residents. Oh. Yeah. After World War II, a really common theme around the country was suburbanization. Mm-hmm. Basically, like, mainly white people were leaving the city for suburbs. This affected New Orleans as well as conflicts over school integration. This left a lot of impoverished people of color behind, and the city, but the city grew as a tourist attraction with hundreds of thousands of visitors for Mardi Gras and the city's culture in general. Mm-hmm. In 1965, the city was pretty much ravaged by Hurricane Betsy. It blew out windows and flooded more than 160,000 homes. The people of New Orleans are fairly used to flooding and hurricanes at this point. The most notable were in 1909, 1915, 1947, and most of those may have damaged the city, but never really catastrophically, until August 29, 2005, when Hurricane Katrina struck. Katrina destroyed... So much, yeah. So, Category 5 storm winds tore away roofs and drove a storm surge that breached four levees, flooding 80% of the city. Yeah, Almost 2,000 residents died and hundreds of thousands more didn't know when or even if they would be able to return home. Thousands were trapped for days in harsh circumstances before state and federal rescuers could reach them. Katrina was extensively covered in national and international news, but communication, mishaps, fear, and lost links in the chain of command made it difficult for New Orleans to get the aid that they needed. In the months and years following Katrina, many areas of New Orleans have rebuilt, with residents returning to their homes and businesses. You don't really hear a lot about New Orleans, like post-Katrina. No. But the city's known for its culinary geniuses, the amazing music scene, not to mention the blend of cultures that aren't really seen in too many places here in the U.S. Can we go? Yes. Okay. <laughs> anyway, um, 
the city is still a huge tourist attraction and people come from all over to visit Mardi Gras, Jazz Fest, and countless other festivals. Oh, fun. And that's the history. Woo. All right. <clears throat> what you got for us today, Rachel? My story this week is about the infamous Madame LaLaurie. Ooh, yikes. My sources are wikipedia.com, murderpedia.com, a book titled Mad Madame LaLaurie, and allthatsinteresting.com. Mm. So, Marie Delphine McCarty was born on March 19th, 1787, in New Orleans, because I say New Orleans mm-hmm. and not New Orleans, like I probably should. <laughs> Colloquialisms. She was born to Louis Bartholome de McCarty mm-hmm. and Marie Jean Larble. <laughs> Larble. Larble. Both of her parents were very prominent in the city's European Creole community. Her family in general were very high up on the political and social ladder. Her uncle, by marriage, was the governor of Louisiana and Florida between 1785 and 1791. That explains a lot. Yeah. In case anyone is curious, his name was Esteban Rodriguez Miro. Esteban Rodriguez Miro. I knew you were going to do that, too. Also, her cousin, Augustine D. McCarty, was the mayor of New Orleans between 1815 and 1820. Mm. So, her family owned a plantation just north of the city, as well as a house in the Via Carre of Fabreau Street, Marie suburb. Their plantation was a popular spot for other wealthy dignitaries who would visit New Orleans. There you go, I said it right that time. Did it. New Good Orleans. Job. Creole girls were introduced in society at 15 and were often married by 16 or 17. Apparently. I know, I love that face. (laughs) It's just such disbelief. Like, you can't even imagine getting married at that age. I had a boyfriend who wanted to marry me at 16 and I was like, "Mm, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, apparently Delphine didn't marry until she was 24 Good age, in my opinion. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, still young, but good age. And on June 11th, 1800, Delphine McCarty married her first husband, Don Ramon de Lopez y Anguillo, who was a high-ranking Spanish officer at the St. Louis Cathedral in New Orleans. Hmm. Right? Good for him. By 1804, her husband had risen in ranks... He was the then Consul General in New Orleans. Okay. Due to his new position, on March 26, 1804, he was recalled to the Court of Spain. Thus, Don Ramon and Delphine started their trip to Spain. Both happiness and tragedy struck on the voyage. Delphine gave birth to a beautiful baby girl named Marie Borgia Delphine Lopez y Egula. De la Candelera. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's so funny. And I'm sure I butchered that, and I do apologize. Her nickname, thankfully, was much shorter. Borquita. Borquita. Unfor- 
Or if you say it like um, Kathy Bates, Burkada. 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 Yeah. Unfortunately, Delphine and her daughter arrived in Spain without Don Ramon. <gasps> he had died in Havana en route to Madrid. Mm. Delphine and Burkida arrived back in New Orleans shortly afterwards. Another theory is that the trip to Spain was Don Ramon's military punishment. However, if that were the case, wouldn't Delphine had stayed with her husband in Spain? Oh, I don't know. I mean... Unless she killed him. Unless she killed him. Yes. Okay, moving forward. Four years later, Delphine married a gentleman by the name of Jean Blanc, who is a prominent banker, merchant, lawyer, and legislator. The two were happily married and had four more children. Hmm. Marie-Louise Pauline, Louise Marie-Laure, Marie-Louise Jean, and Jean-Pierre Pauline Blanc. She's not really original with them names. <laughs> That's what I wrote. <laughs> yeah, they were they were very creative through their names, weren't they? Since, you know, each child shared a name with the other. The marriage ended with Blanc's death in 1816. After another nine years, she met and married her third husband, physician Leonard Louis Nicholas Lalaurie, who was much, much younger than she was. Roughly six years later, in 1831, Delphine Lalaurie purchased property at 1140 Royal Street. The following year, a two-story mansion was built, complete with slave quarters. This property was completely hers. Other than living there with her husband and nothing, I mean, he had nothing to do with it. Madame LaLaurie and her family had slaves. Many slaves, in fact. Between 1831 and 1834, there were several mixed accounts as to her actual treatment of the slaves. Most of the city was shocked at how polite she was to her slaves in public, even emancipating two of her slaves. I didn't know that part. Yeah. Um, I wonder if it was just for show. However, rumors of her mistreatment of them at her home began to spread. This was, of course, a huge no-no in Louisiana. They had laws against the mistreatment of slaves. In a book titled Retrospect of Western Travel by Harriet Martineau, she claims that many of the Lalaurie slaves were seen to be haggard and wretched. Mm. And I can assume probably just generally worn out. Yeah. The rumors due to the appearance of her slaves were so widespread that a lawyer actually had to be dispatched to the house in order to inspect the household and the slaves' treatment. Jeez. However, during their visit, the lawyer found no evidence of the rumors to be true and let Madame Lalaurie go without a warning. However, after the visit from the lawyer, her treatment of the slaves began to really come into light. Uh. There are two recorded reports of this. The first one is that of a man who jumped out of a third-story window because of the sheer and utter fear of punishment from Madame LaLaurie. Yeah. Ugh. Like, you must be absolutely terrified to jump out of a fucking window. Oh, yeah. And the funny thing is, that window was uh, cemented shut. And if you actually go and look at it, it's still there. They haven't torn the cement down. It's just one random cemented shut window. Another, one of the LaLaurie's neighbors saw a 12-year-old slave girl named Leah 
there's also a little confusion about the name. Some people mm-hmm. say it was Nina. Some people say it's Leah. Oh. So I just, I went with Leah because that's what was written in the book. Mm. Saw Leah jump slash fall from the roof of the mansion. It was later discovered that Leah had been brushing Madame LaLaurie's hair when she apparently got the brush stuck in a tangle. Mm. So Leah, you know, obviously tugged the brush in an attempt to free the tangle, but it was a little too hard. No. And that, that that sent the boss lady. Madame Lelouie got really angry. We'll just say that. Okay. <laughs> she got really angry. Uh, Madame Lelouie grabbed a nearby bullwhip and chased Leah as she ran through the house and up the stairs onto the roof. I'm sorry, if you just got a nearby bullwhip? She had a nearby bullwhip, apparently. Okay. Once on the roof, Leah lost her footing and fell three stories to her death. Hmm. According to the eyewitnesses, Madame LaLaurie just stood staring at Leah, you know, from the top of the roof, before going back inside. Only a few minutes later, Leah's lifeless body was moved from where she had fallen and completely out of sight. Later that night, the sound of a shovel could be heard digging a shallow grave near the well on the property. This was not able to be hidden from the city. The neighbor who witnessed it all called the police on Madame LaLaurie, and she was taken to court. Good. Not good. Oh. <clears throat> Apparently the judge she stood before was a relative of hers. Of course he fucking was. However, with much of New Orleans waiting for the outcome, he was unable to completely let her walk away. LaLaurie was fined $300 and had her 10 remaining slaves taken away. Mm. She was sneaky. She convinced another relative of hers to secretly buy her slaves back. Ugh. After that, her coach was the only slave that was ever seen out in public. And it's believed that the only reason she kept him healthy and looking well was to keep up public appearances. Yeah. The slaves were kept extremely malnourished. Rumor has it that she would even beat her two daughters Shit. if they tried to feed the slaves. God, what a piece of shit. On April 10th, 1834, a fire quickly spread throughout the mansion on Royal Street. Hmm. As a crowd began to gather outside of the home, screaming could be heard from the kitchen and the face of an elderly slave woman appeared in the window. When asked where the rest of her slaves were, Madame LaLaurie's response was, Never mind the slaves. Save the valuables. Her husband responded similarly with mind your own business and get to the task at hand. Finally, someone in the crowd yelled that they were in the attic. Firemen and concerned neighbors rushed up the stairs in order to rescue the group of slaves. When they got to the door of the attic, they found it padlocked shut. Upon breaking down the door, they found a truly horrifying scene. There were seven slaves who had been horribly mutilated, suspended by their necks, with all of their limbs stretched and torn. Oh, God. Many had iron collars on with spikes that kept their heads, as one source put it, static. One woman had her skin peeled in a spiral, laying around her body, resembling that of a macrobay caterpillar. One man and woman had a crudely performed sex change done between them, Jesus. The woman's breast had been haphazardly sewn onto his chest, and his penis had been sewn onto her crotch. 
Another man was chained to a wall and had a hole drilled into his head. The poor guy even had maggots crawling in and out of it. Oh, oh. Yeah. One other woman had all of her bones broken and reset at odd angles so that she resembled a misshapen crab. Mm. There were buckets of body parts scattered around the room, which, why? Why? Yeah, why? Just why are there body parts? <sighs> Several of the poor people who had endured her torture did not survive past the rescuer's attempt to move them. Yeah. Um, others fainted, and one woman even jumped to her death from the window. The surviving slaves were taken to a nearby prison in order to protect them from the Lalores and the unpredictable mob. Yeah. Many papers reported that more than 4,000 people had fled to the jailhouse to see the severely mistreated slaves for themselves. They couldn't Jesus. understand that such a high-ranking woman yeah. was able to do such a thing to them. <sighs> After some time, the older slave woman who had been stuck in the kitchen began to make a confession. She had been the cook for the Lalores and was chained to the stove by her ankle. She confessed that she had started the fire as a suicide attempt because she was afraid of her, of her impending punishment. Mm. According to her, anyone who was taken up to the attic was never seen again. Oh. Sometime during the mob violence, the Lalores took a carriage to the waterfront where the affluent would often take their evening air time. You know, like we would just take a walk. They just yeah. took a carriage down, got some air. Apparently, when they got to the water's edge, they slipped out of the carriage and onto a pontoon boat. After they had boarded the boat, the mob attacked her carriage, killing her horses Aww. and completely obliterating the carriage. Poor horses. Don't go after the horses. Go after I know. the old lady. The God. horses didn't do anything. They then returned to the house, looting and destroying anything that hadn't been burned. The citizens were so angry at Lalori that police and firemen had to stay at the house in order to keep vandals away. During the time, policemen would claim to hear moaning and scratching sounds coming from the now-abandoned building. They would check behind walls, searching the house for anyone who might have still been trapped in the house. They found no hidden rooms, but the noises continued. This is where the ghost stories began, of course. So, I'm, I'm going to pause right there and go back to Madame LaLaurie. Her life after the 1834 fire really isn't documented in the book by Veronica Costner Love, they disappeared. Many believe that they fled to Paris. Because I forgot to write Paris. <laughs> <laughs> they fled to move on, move on. Uh, they disappeared. Uh, many believe they fled to Paris. Others believe that they went to Mobile, California. Okay. Or was it Alabama? I Mobile, Alabama. Alabama. Yeah. Many believe they fled to Mobile, Alabama. But it isn't known for sure. There are two different stories as to how Madame LaLaurie died. One is that she had a peaceful death amongst family and friends. Another is that she was recognized at a party in Paris. She then fled to... I don't know how to pronounce that. P-A-U. Pow. Sure. 
She then fed, fled to Pau, France, where she was gored by a boar during a hunting trip. Cool. Love it. You know, very fitting death for a monster. Jesus. It makes uh, me so mad. It, yeah. The house remained in ruins until roughly 1888, when the house was unrecognizably restored. Over the next several decades, it was used as a public high school, a a conservatory of music, a tenement, a refuge for young delinquents, a bar, a furniture store, and luxury apartments. Jesus, that building's like the Defense Against the Dark Arts position. Uh Uh-huh. In fact, while workers were pulling up flooring in order to vide the house for the apartments, Mm. they discovered the bodies of dozens of people who had been buried alive. This, of course, explains the screams, moans, and scratching that was heard by the police more than 140 years ago. They didn't think to look under the floorboards? Mm Mm-mm. Because it was just so unthinkable. Yeah, I know. Uh, Again, it's coming to a lady of her status doing something so... I know, that's insane. Yeah. But also, can you imagine how those people felt? Their rescuers were so close. Oh, don't make me sad. I know, but it just... I'm already sad. Okay, ignoring the sad for a minute. Fun fact. (laughs) Nicolas Cage bought the LaLaurie house in April of 2007 for $3.45 million. I thought that was a rumor. No. <laughs> okay. Nope. He actually bought it. Then in 2009, it was purchased for $2.3 million by Regions Financial Corporation. Mm. Yeah. So, okay, that's my story of Madame LaLaurie. But I do kind of want to add in my two cents. Madame LaLaurie's husband was a physician. Mm. While he didn't have an actual medical practice, it wasn't uncommon for him to, say, pull a tooth right? per the request of a client. Now, while I don't doubt that she was extremely abusive to the slaves, I do doubt that she, a southern elite belle, would have the knowledge and skills to perform surgery of that sort. Yeah. But her they might husband, have done it together. Well, yeah, she she def it could only could only <laughs> it could only <laughs> she could have done it, but it she would have needed help, yeah, or guidance or something. So Ugh. that she was definitely an awful person because of how she treated them. Yeah, but for the monstrosity that they found in the attic, she had to have had help. Yes. I hate people. Which would explain her husband's reaction also. Yeah, where he's like, mind your business. Mind your business, yeah. Gross. So, that's my story. Join us next time in the next New Orleans episode for the haunting of the LaLaurie Mansion. Yeah. You need to, um... You need to start doing satisfying stories. I know! I'm I'm getting being really unsatisfied over here. Hopefully next week's is more satisfying. Yeah, it should be. Hopefully. <laughs> Alright. As unsatisfying as that was. I feel like that's always said whenever I'm the one doing the true crime. <laughs> well, yeah. I give no resolve. I'm sorry. Yeah, because you choose, like... Super depressing ones. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, the murder in 
Murder in general is depressing. Yeah, but like... You choose real fucked up <laughs> ones, man. I'm sorry. That's okay. What is your story? My story is a brout. A brout. <laughs> okay. My story is about Marie Laveau. Ooh, ooh. The voodoo queen. Ah, ah, ooh. The crowd goes wild. Okay. So my sources are atlasobscura.com, britannica.com, allthatsinteresting.com, 64parishes.org, ghostcitytours.com, and Wikipedia. <laughs> Thank you, Wikipedia. Yes. Okay. So, Marie Laveau was a famous and powerful voodoo priestess who lived in New Orleans in the 19th century. She was renowned in life, revered in death. That's word for word something. I don't know where it's from. Anyway, she people loved her. People feared her. Um, some Ooh, shawarma sounds good. Shawarma. <laughs> I'm <Jesus>. sorry. <laughs> um, so anyway... We'll start off with her grandmother, Catherine, who was taken from Africa at only seven years old. Aww. She was sold to a woman named Francoise Pomme, a woman, a free woman of color and a successful entrepreneur. <laughs> it was actually super common for free people of color to purchase their own slaves. Actually, despite like how charitable Marie Laveau was, she actually owned a couple. Yeah. Anyway, Catherine was eventually able to buy her freedom and build her own small home where her granddaughter would become famous. Catherine was a badass. Oh, you know what? I wrote this twice. <laughs> Catherine was a badass. So Catherine I'll just say was Catherine a was a badass. Um, okay. Catherine was a badass who eventually bought her freedom out of slavery she became a businesswoman, owning her own home, and tirelessly worked to have her five children set free from slavery. Awesome. Catherine's daughter, Marguerite, so Marie's Marguerite. mother, was owned by her own father, which was actually also common. Um, but and weird. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, she was freed from her father at the age of 18, but was then forced into an arranged relationship with an older, rich white man. And she had three children by him. Boo. Yeah. Marguerite fell in love with a man named Charles Laveau, a Creole plantation owner who happened to be the son of an uh, important New Orleans politician. Their affair resulted in Marie. Fearful of what might happen if Marie was discovered, Marguerite chose to leave her daughter to be raised by her mother and then return to her arranged relationship. Mm. Yeah. So there's some confusion about when Marie Laveau was actually born. It's not sure if she was born in 1794 or 1801, but most people just say 1801. Yeah, uh, just make her a few years younger. She appreciates it. Why not? <laughs> she was the first of her matrilineal line to be born free. Good. Yeah. It's said that she was tall, with curly black hair, black eyes, golden skin, and good features, which at that time basically meant not that like she didn't look too black which is shitty yeah anyway she's next recorded doing anything on august 4th 1819 when she married a man named jacques paris a free man of color from haiti mm. after marriage they moved into the french quarter they moved into the french quarter they moved <laughs> 
<laughs> After marriage, they moved to the French Quarter. Paris went missing and was presumed dead in 1924. Marie insisted that he had died and that she was a widow, although there might have been some evidence that he left her. Rude. Yeah. Either way, he was gone and had left her with two children. And that's when she started going by the Widow Paris, which was the custom at the time. Yeah. So, after her husband disappeared, Laveau started a relationship with a white man who was a member of a prominent local French family, Christophe Glapion. And if you say his full name, it it sounds like the French Esteban. like Esteban Julio. <laughs> Esteban Julio, Ricardo Montoya de la Rosa Ramirez. So, this guy's full name was Jean-Louis Christophe Dominic Dumini de Glapion. Awesome name, dude. Yes. Anyway, they were in a common law marriage and were together for 30 years until Glapion died in 1855. Aw, that's yeah. kind of sweet. Yeah. Interracial relationships weren't uncommon, but the couples were forbidden by law to marry. So Common law, though. Yes. They had many children together. Aww. It's said to be somewhere between 7 and 15, but only two survived childhood. Oh. Yeah. Some of them died because of yellow fever, but I'm not really sure why the rest died. Um, mm. But the two who survived were Marie... I can't... These names are hard. So it's like Marie Heloise, maybe Eucharist Glapion, and Marie Philomene Glapion. So. so two Maries? Two Maries? Two Maries. Yes. The family lived in the original French section of the city, or the French Quarter, mm -hmm. in a cottage on St. Anne Street between Rampart and Burgundy. I love cottages. Yeah, it was the um, home that was built by Marie's grandmother, actually. Oh! She was also a nurse during yellow fever and cholera epidemics. Her skills were well known, but a lot of people attributed her success to unnatural means like voodoo, they didn't think that... Like magic, yeah. Yeah, they didn't think a woman of color would be able to have any real nursing skills. But... People being dumb. Yeah. So, she was also a hairdresser. Um, a lot of her black clients who were house servants would tell her about her wealthy clients. And a, lo a lot of the women told her their most intimate secrets about their husbands, f lovers, family affairs, and business dealings. Which comes in later. I was going to say, she knows everything. <sighs> yeah. So, how did she become known as the Voodoo Queen? Please do tell. Yes. Voodoo in New Orleans consisted of root work and grigri or juju. Juju! People would seek out conjurers or other spiritualists for spiritual intervention or protection. So, those favors ranged from, like, love to, like, political influence, stuff mm -hmm. like that. Although most workers use their powers for positive forces, there were some people who really didn't. And that's probably, like, that group of people that didn't that make people think that voodoo is, like, worshipping the devil. Yep. This aspect of the religion became known as hoodoo and is often the basis for, like, all the movies and TV shows you see about, like, oh no, it's hoodoo and... Voodoo I know, I was bad. just thinking of Princess and the Frog. Yeah. So, Marie eventually stopped working as a hairdresser, only be to begin work as a spiritual heal healer. Mm -hmm. A lot of my sources said conflicting things when it comes to her background in African spirituality and voodoo. Some said that she may have learned from her grandmother, who may have been a powerful priestess, and that she was drawn to the religion after the death of her mother. 
Other sources said that she studied under Sir uh, Dr. John Bayou, a well-known Senegalese conjurer. John Bayou? John Bayou. Like the Bayou. Yeah. Anyway, by 1830, she was one of several voodoo queens. Laveau combined voodoo beliefs and Catholic traditions, holy water, incense, and statues of the saints and Christian prayers, which helped to make voodoo more acceptable to upper-class New Orleans society. I was just thinking they still do voodoo with a lot of Catholic stuff in it. Okay. So people came to Marie for a variety of reasons. She could handle domestic disputes, marital affairs, finances, childbearing, health, luck, and even judicial issues. Oh, to go one step further with judicial issues. I know. Uh, She would give them advice, protective spiritual objects like candles, magical powders to cure ailments, and charms to grant desires or destroy enemies. Mm. She also told people's fortunes as one of her supposed powers was divination. And that's where the theory um, that she she had a network of informants came in. Mm -hmm. Um, All those people that she developed contacts with as a hairdresser. Eventually, she used all of that inside information so she could act like she had the ability to see things about people. It's one of the theories. She also held ceremonies in which participants became possessed by loas, who were like uh, voodoo spirits or deities. Oh, okay. Uh, She also had a lot of influence within the community and saved several condemned men from being hung. Hanged? Hanged. Hung. I think it's hanged. Oh, I think both might be right. <laughs> I don't know. Um, as tales of her powers grew, she was able to basically overthrow the other queens and become the voodoo the, queen. Yeah. As queen, she orchestrated rituals at three main place. Her place. Plus. Three main place. At three main places. Her home on St. Anne Street, Congo Square, and Lake Ponch Pont. Remember, what was it? Punch a train? Oh, yeah. Punch, punch, punch train. a train. I, if I said that r- wrong, I'm sorry. I don't... Because you were like, punch a train. Punch a train. Punch a train. Anyway, in her home, she would meet with clients and give advice, and she would have ceremonies in her backyard where she would conjure the great spirit of Zombie, the deity Dombalo Widow. If I said that wrong, I'm sorry. I looked that up, too, and that's what it sounded like, but I might be wrong. I'm sorry. I heard conjure a zombie. Uh, the great zombie. The great zombie. Yeah, it's a, a deity. It's not like... Okay. But it he would manifest through a boa constrictor that she drowned with, dra- draped over her shoulders. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> mm-hmm. In Congo Square, which was a space set aside by city officials as a gathering space for both enslaved and freed African people on certain days, she would gather her followers there on Sundays to dance and worship. It was like a spiritual gathering, and she would lead in chants, sell cures and charms, and gather more information on her clients. That's always important. At the shore of Lake Pontchartrain, ceremonies took place among practitioners of the religion. These gatherings included bonfires, singing, dancing, drumming, spirit possession, ritual bathing, and communal feasts. Ritual bathing. Yes. So, curious white people would often sneak into the woods to witness the ceremonies. <laughs> yeah. Curious white it's people. It's like, yeah. And then after they watched everything, they would go back and tell their friends they saw, but they would be, like, incredibly exaggerated accounts. 
They're always exaggerated. Of course. She also ran operations at the Maison Blanche, 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 the White House. Not the the White House. (laughs) Not the White House, but the White House. Yes. Uh, which was built for secret voodoo meetings and liaisons between white men and black women. Okay. According to my research. Okay. Laveau was um, beloved and feared, and that's what helped her to such a prominent position, as well as her strong personality, charity work, and natural flair for theatrics. Laveau reigned unchallenged, until 1850, when another Creole woman named Rosa Lee attempted to challenge her position. To create an aura of fear and awe, Rosa Lee placed a huge life-size wooden doll in her yard that was said to have been imported from Africa. The statue was covered with beads and intricate carvings, and when people in the voodoo community began expressing fear and respect for Rosa Lee because of the doll, Laveau stole the statue. She was taken to court by Rosalie, but used her persuasive powers and influence to have the doll permanently removed. There were several other root workers and voodooists who gathered mild attention during her reign, but none of them were ever able to unseat her. Mm -hmm. Although people of all races visited Laveau and attended the ceremony she led, the white community as a whole didn't really accept voodoo as a legitimate religion. Reason. To be fair. Yeah. They don't accept most religions that are not theirs. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's part of the reason why it's still, like, associated with the occult today. Mm-hmm. Racism and a natural tendency for newspapers to seek out sensational stories led to descriptions of Marie Laveau's ceremonies as occult drunken orgies, and her nickname is the Voodoo Queen. While she was a voodoo priestess, she was also a lifelong Roman Catholic, she was baptized, married, and attended Mass, and had all of her children baptized at St. Louis Cathedral. An 1871 newspaper article said that she regularly erected altars in the cells of condemned prisoners and was comforted and prayed with them before they went to the gallows. Aw, that's super sweet. Apparently it was something that was very common for her. Although there are legends about her wealth, she actually wasn't that rich. In all actuality, she only owned a vacant lot on what is now North Rampart Street, It was given to her by her her father, but she didn't really own any real estate. Her house on St. Anne Street was owned by her partner, Christoph, and after his death in 1855, a friend bought the house so that Marie, her daughters, and her grandchildren could stay there. I saw a rumor about why, uh, like a theory about why that friend bought that house for her, Mm -hmm. and it was something like his son was arrested for something and was going to be hanged. And she put a spell on the judges so that they would be like, oh, you're free to go. Or she was just super convincing. I don't put too much stock in that, so. Uh, About 1875, Marie Laveau gave her last performance and announced that she was retiring to her home on St. Anne Street. But she never completely retired. She continued to visit the poor and imprisoned and still gave readings in her home. And after Marie's death in 1881... Marie II took her place. Oh. Yes. Marie II looks so much like the original Marie that people in the city who saw her thought that the queen had been resurrected from the dead. They were afraid that she was immortal. 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 Not amortal. Not immoral. (laughs) Immortal. Naturally, they wondered why she was so much younger, and there was an actual rumor at the time that she consumed the souls of other people in New Orleans to regain her youthfulness. 
I wish it worked like that. Yeah. Marie, <laughs> you want to you wanna take, you want to consume souls? Only the bad ones. Only the bad you know. ones. Anyway, Marie II was a businesswoman, like the original, so she was like, go ahead and think that, I don't care. Yeah. But Marie II, unlike the first, was rumored to embrace the darker side of voodoo. Oh. She was known to throw extremely wild rituals around New Orleans, and she capitalized on the legend and success of her predecessor. It's thought that Marie II was actually Marie's daughter, mm-hmm. one of them, but it's not for sure, because one of them died. I don't remember when. But the other one, um, it might have even been a granddaughter, mm-hmm. but... There is some speculation that she wasn't even related to Marie at all. That it was just a woman who looked similar who wanted to capitalize on the legend surrounding Marie Laveau. I think I've heard that rumor. Yeah. Um, her fame didn't really last that long after Marie I's death, though. Uh, once she'd been buried, Marie II kind of faded into obscurity. Mm. I think I think I read maybe she drowned. Oh. I don't know where I read that, though. Maybe one of her daughters drowned, and that's what I was thinking. Maybe. So, when Marie Laveau died, her obituary in the New York Times claimed lawyers, legislators, planters, and merchants all came to pay their respects and seek her offices. She was buried in the family tomb at St. Louis Cemetery, the first. Mm -hmm. Her tomb is the most visited tomb in all of New Orleans cemeteries. Fortunately, not all visitors are respectful, so there's been a lot of vandalism. Yeah. It became such an issue that the Archdiocese and New Orleans Catholic cemeteries no longer allow tourists to enter the cemetery without a licensed tour guide Mm -hmm. who holds a permit. So visitors leave offerings at the site, mainly coins, beads, and candles as a part of voodoo tradition. First you knock three times on the slab and then you can ask for her favor. Ask her for a favor. I mean, you could ask for her favor too. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Another thing people say you can do is draw an X, place your hand over it, rub your your foot three times against the bottom of the slab, throw some silver coins into a cup, and make your wish. Which sounds like a lot. Or if you don't like any of those, you can leave offerings of food, money, or flowers and ask for Marie's help after turning around three times and marking a cross with the red brick on the stone. Or just go and pay your respects and say, right. hey. All of this is actually in, against the law, so, like, don't deface yeah. Grace. I was um, going to say, yeah, just, just say, hey, I'm glad you existed. Yeah. She's got an official shrine at the Healing Center on St. Claude across from the market, so go there. Do that there instead. Oh, people do say the grave is haunted, by the way. Oh, yeah. I've got a couple little Oh, go One infamous counter took place during the Great Depression. The story is about a homeless man who fell asleep on top of a tomb in the cemetery, but shortly after falling asleep, he suddenly awoke to the banging of drums and eerie chanting. Ooh. And then he followed the noise to the tomb of Marie, where he encountered the ghosts of nude men and women dancing around the tomb. And in the center was Marie and her boa constrictor zombie. Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm still just... Zombie? Constrictor zombie. Z-O-M-B-I. I know, but still, I'm hearing zombie, zombie, so... Yes, it was a zombie boa constrictor, Rachel. Jesus. <laughs> Apparently, her house is haunted, too. The original was torn down in 1903, but it was rebuilt, and people feel a lot of residual energy. Mm-hmm. Well, if they were using the same materials, then yeah. Well, so... 
People claim to see her walking down the street wearing a long white dress and her trademark headdress. Mm -hmm. It's said that her spirit and those of her followers still perform ancient rituals there. Nowadays, the house is used as a vacation rental. A couple stayed there a few years ago, and one night they heard sounds of chanting and drumming, and they thought the noise was coming from outside, but when the husband went to check... There was no one outside, and it was silent. That's not creepy. Yeah, right? So, but when he came back in, he realized that the sound was coming from the living room. So That's the couple, really not creepy. Right? <laughs> so the couple decided that they couldn't sleep there, so they left. When they returned the next day, the wife noticed a single white feather on the floor, which was Marie's signature object and is a really important relic among voodoo practitioners. His feathers are believed to bring great luck or on the other hand if it's discovered on one's pillow it's said that the feather will bring you sickness or death because mm. according to legend the, there's a ritual that involves placing a chicken's head into the victim's pillow and as time goes by and the tex, the hex takes hold it produces a single feather on top of the pillow poor chicken yes one man said that when he stayed at the house He had woken up from a nap when he saw a shadowy figure standing in the corner of the room glaring at him. Another account comes from a visitor, somebody who visited the house. She remembered waking up one morning on her second night at the house, and suddenly, on her second night at the house, she woke up in the morning in the second night. (laughs) She woke up in the night, the second house, yeah. She woke up the second night at the house, and suddenly she became frightened as she was physically unable to get up as if someone was holding her down. Which kind of follows with that shadowy figure that was standing in the hallway. Mm-hmm. And that's all I got. Wow. Yeah. That, uh, and that was Marie Laveau. I loved that one. Yeah. I really did. There I was stuff I had to cut out, but I wanted to add it. But, I mean, it wasn't a lot that I cut out, but... It was still great. Like, oh my god. I love... But, yeah, I'd like to go to New Orleans. Yes. It'd be cool. Let's go to New Orleans. I just want the food, man. That too. Oh my gosh. Like real. I mean, the culture is really amazing and I want, I really want to visit a lot of places. But the food. But I really want to eat. Yes. Guys, we're fat. I like food. We like food. I like food. (laughs) I need the food. I'm actually really hungry right now. So. All right. Um, Um, Oh yeah. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Yes. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Myths and Misfortunes or Twitter at Myths Misfortune. Or you can search for us using our full name, Myths and Misfortunes. We do pop up. You can also send us an email to mythsandmisfortunes at gmail.com. Our music was composed by McKean Fulbright and our art was created by Heather Marie Atkins. Their websites can be found in the description below. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Yes, yes. Uh, Thanks so much, guys. Thanks. Bye. Bye.